0: Good afternoon, New Hope. Uh, Today's reading is from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. I am the good shepherd. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus moves with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. This is the word of the Lord. Hi again, New Hope. (laughs) Caesar, thank you for reading to us. Pastor Ramni Daji, thank you for being here, guys. Uh, it really is great to have you here with us. It's really great to hear from you together, and we will be praying for you. I met um, this brother last year, I guess, in Philadelphia through a network of other mutual friends and partners in, in ministry, and soon after getting to talk to to Ramney just a bit, I started to, and finding out where he's at, how close it is to where we live, and very early on, started to feel this this eagerness to want to learn more, and to partner with these brothers and sisters at Fordham Community Church, and as we've gotten to know each other a little bit better, that eagerness has only grown, And, and now to have you guys here and get to talk a little bit more I'm I'm excited to see what the Lord is going to do and continue to do not just in you and through you as a local body, but perhaps even through us as local bodies, families, households of God partnering together for the furtherance of his mission. It really is exciting stuff. We'll have you back here in the future too. Maybe you'll stand up here and preach and I won't have to. I'll I'll sit there and listen to you preach. I'm going to invite you to pray with me, church. Lord, our desire is to see Jesus, to love Jesus, and to trust in Jesus. We cannot engineer this in ourselves. We need you, O Spirit, to work in us. So please do this. Spirit, work in us. Spiritual sight, love for the Savior, and trust for the Good Shepherd who died and rose again for us. Spirit, do this, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. If you happen to have children, how do, you, uh, how do you choose the right sitter for your kids? Do you have a list that you go through of requirements? How do you choose someone who will protect them and, and prioritize their safety the way you would as their parent? It's very hard to choose the right sitter, isn't it? It's a, it can be scary finding someone new to care for your kids. You wonder, will they care for my kids as I would care for them? It doesn't have to be a child. Maybe you don't have children. But think of anyone or anything that you value deeply. And have you ever taken that possession and loaned it to someone else? Have you ever loaned your car to someone else? Maybe it's a new car. Maybe it's a car you love and, and, and you wonder, will they treat this car like their own? Or will they treat it like a rental? And, and why do you ask that question? Because you know that we all treat our own car better than we treat the rental, right? And because if it come, when it comes down to it, we will die to save our own children, and, but we don't know if someone else will do that for them. We will go to great lengths to protect the possessions that have special value to us, but we don't know if someone else will do that for that same possession. It's a natural tendency. Jesus sees and knows this human tendency, and he uses it, to show us something about himself. He uses this to show us how he cares for people who belong to him. He says, I'm a shepherd. In fact, I'm the good shepherd, the true shepherd, and I love my sheep. Who is he talking about? These sheep are people, men, women, children, who are helpless without Jesus. But with him, they are safe. He says, I'm not like these shepherds that get hired for a day and they go home at the end of the day with some cash in their hand. They, those kinds of shepherds, they may neglect the needs of the sheep. If things get too dangerous, they'll take off. But not me. He says, I'm a different kind of shepherd, and he is. And the goal today, as I just prayed, is simple. We want to see him, we want to love him, and we want to trust him. Caesar just read the first six verses of John chapter 10. I want to invite you to read the rest of this section together, starting at verse 7. So if you have a Bible, or you have a device with a, a Bible on it, please open to John chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 7. It says there, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also and and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock One shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and he's insane. Why listen to him? Another said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Remember that this scene, if you were here last week, you know this scene takes place directly after Jesus had just healed a blind man, a man who had born, been born blind, saw for the first time because Jesus initiated a relationship with him, pursued him, persevered with him, and healed him. There's a few things we want to see about Jesus. What kind of shepherd this Jesus is. Here's the first thing we want to see. He knows his own. He knows his own. He says it in verse 14. I know my own and my own know me. In verse 3 earlier he says he calls his own sheep by name. So he knows them specifically. Personally. He personally recognizes each person who belongs to him. But this is more than just recognition. Jesus knows them intimately. He, he's, it's one thing to be able to recognize one of your own children. It's almost a given, isn't it? But he's familiar with them intimately so that he knows our past and our present and our future selves. He knows our strengths, our weaknesses, our failures, our specific sins. He saw them all firsthand firsthand. He's seen it as our best, and he has seen us at our absolute worst. Have you ever started to get to know someone and, and new, and, and you're excited? But, but with time, the more you get to know this person, the excitement starts to wear off. Has that ever happened to you? Because the more you get to know this person, the less amazing they seem to you. Maybe others have felt this way about you. After all, it's one of our greatest fears when we're starting a relationship with someone new. It's this fear that that once they get to know us a little bit more, they're going to lose interest in us. We'll, We'll disappoint them in some way and they'll stop liking us. We fear being known because we fear not being liked for who we are. We fear letting ourselves be known because we fear not being liked for who we really are. And so we hide ourselves. Christian, my brothers and sisters, Jesus knows the real you. He always has known the real you, and he has not lost interest. Not once, not ever. He's never considered ending the relationship or grown tired of you. You're not an annoyance to him. He doesn't tolerate you. He delights in you, just as the Father delights in him. So some of us, we believe that Jesus loves us. We, we just have a hard time believing he likes us. <laughs> he loves us because he kind of has to because he's Christ and that's what he's supposed to do. But he doesn't really enjoy having us around. There's so much in us that's not likable. No, Christian, Jesus likes you. He enjoys you. He delights in you. He says to you, I see beneath the facade of all the, the got it all togetherness. I see beneath the, the swagger or I see beneath the, the, the defensiveness and I still desire you. Remember the woman that Jesus encountered in John chapter 4. If you're not familiar with that part of the Bible, in John chapter 4, Jesus sits down to talk to a woman who is an outcast. She's a social outcast. She's an ethnic outcast. She's lived a assorted life. Her history is A lot lot of people would say it was shameful. And yet Jesus approaches this woman as someone who knows her better than she's ever been known. And yet he loves her more than she's ever been loved. Remember the man in John chapter 9, the very previous chapter that we're reading today man that was born blind, Jesus continues to move towards this man even when everyone else is distancing themselves from him. This man is finding himself more and more alone, and the more he finds himself socially alone and alienated, the closer Jesus comes to him, pursues him, seeks him out, brings him into his flock. This is the kind of shepherd we're talking about here. He knows you, and he wants you. And and by the way, don't miss this. It's easy to miss. Jesus here is claiming to be God. We might miss this. In fact, it says in verse 6 that the people there, they did not understand what he was saying to them. But I hope we don't miss it. Way back, listen, way back in Genesis chapter 48, verse 15, Jacob calls the God of Israel the God who has been my shepherd all my life long. In Psalm 80, verse 1, Asaph calls God the shepherd of Israel who has led his people like a flock. These people with whom Jesus was talking, they would have known those passages. These Jewish people would have been familiar with those parts of the Bible. In fact, they would all know Psalm 23, as many of us know Psalm 23 here, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Centuries before Jesus ever arrived on the scene, the Jewish people knew something. This God whom we worship, he is a shepherd. And so when Jesus steps up before this crowd and starts calling himself the good shepherd or the true shepherd, and when he claims to know the Father and he claims to know the sheep just as the Father knows him, he's claiming to be God. Since creation, the creator has always been a shepherd. He knows you because he made you. God does. God made you to know him and to enjoy him. And if he's not your creator, then he can't fully know you and he can't truly be your shepherd. But if he is God, then he can do both those things. Do you long to be known this way? Do you long to be fully known and yet fully loved and accepted? Are you tired of the masks, of hiding the true you? Maybe you have never really fully revealed the real you. Maybe you're not even sure who that real you is. Or maybe it's been so long since you've revealed the real you because the last time you did it, it didn't go so well. You got hurt. Do you long to be fully known and fully loved, completely accepted? It's what Jesus gives generously to anyone who becomes his. He receives you fully, and he gives himself to you fully. And what he's calling us to here is to to receive that, to, to approach him with an openness that we wouldn't dare approach anyone else with, with a vulnerability that we wouldn't dare approach anyone else with. He's calling us to come to him with openness, with receptivity, with an honesty. Just like that man who was born blind came to him in the previous or received him in the previous chapter. Jesus knows his own. That's number one. Number two, he lays down his life and he picks it back up. That's the kind of shepherd Jesus is. He's the kind of shepherd that knows his own. He's also the kind of shepherd that lays down his life and picks it back up. In verses 10 through 18, Jesus, once over and over again, five times, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life. He says it five times. This is the highest form of commitment that one person could ever show for another, to lay down one's life for another. In fact, in John chapter 15, Jesus says that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You can't go deeper than that. You can't love someone more than to give up your life for them. To do that means to say, listen, listen, if if one of us has to go, I love you so much, it better be me. If one of us has to go, it's better me than you. Who would you say this to? Is there anyone in your life to whom you would say those words? Better me than you. I lay down my life for you. we read through to the end of the book of john we find out that this isn't just talk when jesus says i'm willing to die if he says i'm willing to die for my sheep that's noble but he doesn't just say that he actually does it he does lay down his life now now if you read through to the end of the gospel of john you find that many people were actually responsible for the death of jesus He was betrayed, he was sentenced, he was executed. Many people were to blame for his death. And yet in verse 18 here, he says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord for my sheep. You see, all of those that were to blame, they were all allowed, they were all allowed to betray, to sentence, to execute. Because in the process, Jesus was willingly laying down his life. Not purposelessly, but for his sheep. A shepherd is a protector. And in the ancient Near East, uh, a shepherd had to be ready to fight. Because they they, they were shepherding in in an untamed landscape. There were thieves and there were predators, animals of different sorts. Jesus is shepherding his sheep amongst these thieves and these predators. Who are the thieves that he talks about here? Typically, scholars will Equate the thieves with these religious leaders who throughout the history of Israel had oppressed and exploited the people. So thieves are these fake shepherds. They're people that are supposed to be shepherds, but instead of protecting, they exploited, they hurt, they oppressed. In the book of Ezekiel, God condemns such fake, false shepherds. The Pharisees here with whom Jesus is speaking, many of them would have fallen into that category. They were also like these, these hired hands who were, they were supposed to be protecting the sheep, but they really cared more for themselves. They, they wanted to feed themselves, find followers for themselves. They were easily distracted or they didn't care about the needs of the sheep. Jesus shows us how unlike them he really is. But the Bible tells us that our greatest danger is not just those who would oppress and exploit us and hurt us. That's a terrible danger. But the Bible tells us that the greatest danger we're in Is a danger that comes from sin. Sin poses the greatest threat to us. Others can hurt us, but sin can destroy us. Sin is the ever-present wolf that that preys on people. It's sin that that brings the curse that truly leads to death. The curse that's fallen upon all of humanity. Because we've all sinned. We don't love God. Let's be honest. We don't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. None of us does. And we don't love other people like we love ourselves. Based on those two standards alone, we have all sinned. Our sin is present in the form of our selfishness. It's present in the form of our prejudices, our our pride, anger our lack of compassion for others, our lust. The list goes on and on. And sin in all those different forms, it destroys. It destroys relationships. It destroys individuals. It leads to death, eternal death. But Jesus, the shepherd, he will not allow the curse of sin to destroy his sheep. Instead, what he does is he draws that wolf away from his sheep toward himself. He allows himself to be consumed, to be ravaged by the wolf of sin. Jesus does that at the cross. Isaiah 53 presents this to us so beautifully. It says there, if, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Isaiah 53, verse 6. This is a prophecy that pointed ahead to it, predicted who Jesus was and what he would do when he arrived. And it says in verse six, "All we listen to the imagery. All we like sheep have gone astray. <laughs> We're wandering sheep. We have all turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened up not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter." like a sheep that before its shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth you see what's going on here in isaiah 53 the shepherd is becoming the sacrificial lamb the the shepherd is becoming the lamb who died for his sheep so that the sheep could be rescued you see jesus the shepherd takes the curse of sin fully upon himself, it all falls upon him, the iniquity of us all. When Jesus hung on that cross, you could imagine the curse, the wrath of the sins of all his people redirected, magnetized to him that one point, that one fulcrum, it all the sin, all the curse lands on him, and he absorbs it all. Um, In 2018, a a movie called A Quiet Place came out. Some of you may have seen this, A Quiet Place. And in that movie, a, a dad by the name of Lee, Lee Abbott, he sacrifices himself for the life of his family, his wife Evelyn, his daughter Regan, his son Marcus, They're they're in in, in great danger. These these ferocious otherworldly beasts are attacking. And Lee he leaves his family alone in a place that would soon become a safe place. He leaves them and he goes out into the openness and he shouts out at the top of his lungs. And with that shout, what is he doing? He's calling upon himself all the beasts, all the wolves all of their ferocity, all of their violence, it all falls upon him. He absorbs it all. He is ravaged. He is crushed and consumed. Why? So this family who was once threatened is now safe. And they know in that moment that their father loved them more than they ever realized. And an interesting subplot within that, that movie is a relationship between Lee and his daughter Regan. Regan doubts her father's love for her. Not because she thinks her dad is not a loving man. It's because she sinned so badly. She, she failed so badly. And, and, and her failure had brought upon her family such terrible consequences. Because of her disobedience and her failure, her family had suffered great loss. And so she, since that moment, she felt like she was never part quite of the family. The relationship with the dad was strained. She felt like she wasn't worthy to be loved. Because of her failures, her doubts were so strong. And yet in this moment, in this moment, Lee proves to her that she was always loved. And finally, I think she's convinced. Because he gave himself for her. What more could he do? And so it is with Christ. What more can he do to convince us of his love for for us? He's given himself and absorbed it all. If you never saw that movie, I'm sorry for the spoiler. I've decided, I've made this law myself. This is an executive decision. I made it for my own life. You can make a law for yourself. My, my law is I will respect, um, I, I, won't, I won't spoil a movie until a year. After a year, it's, all bets are off, okay? I'm sorry, church. That's what, I, I've had to come to that decision. At least I didn't spoil the Avengers movie, right? I didn't do that. I could have done that, but I didn't. <laughs> Fake shepherds take from you. Fake shepherds, they, they promise to protect you. They promise to give and to, and to have your best interests in mind, but it's never true. The, they always take and take and take. It's the promise that sin always makes. But what does sin always end up doing? It always ends up taking more. What does Jesus do? Jesus abandons his life to give us abundant life. So he abandons his life so that we might experience abundant life. Do you see his love there? Do you see the magnitude of it? You know, there's a problem with this picture, though, of course, because if a shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, that's a noble, loving act, no doubt, but now the problem is that those sheep no longer have a shepherd, right? They're on their own. In fact, a normal shepherd might not give up his life for a sheep because it puts all the other sheep in danger. Now they're all helpless. But Jesus is no ordinary shepherd. He's not just a hero who gives up everything for what he loves. He did what only he had the authority to do. He laid down his life, and he picked it back up again. He took it back. He reclaimed his life. Once and for all, when he arose in triumph from the grave, sin had not won. Jesus had won. The protector, the savior, the shepherd had won. And what does this mean for us? It means that we still have a shepherd. His sheep still have a shepherd. A shepherd his sheep still have a shepherd who, who cares and guides them by his spirit, who prays for them who continues to love them and call them to himself. Jesus reclaimed his life for his sheep so that you would not be alone, ever. Some of you know Psalm 23 begins with the words, the Lord is my shepherd, right? It's not the Lord was my shepherd, but he died on the cross long ago. No, the Lord is my shepherd. It remains as true today as it was then and will remain true into eternity. You see, Jesus says to his sheep, he says, I want you to have abundant life, eternal life, and I want to enjoy it with you. Do you realize that that Jesus longs to, desires to enjoy eternal life with his sheep? He says so. He's praying in John 17. He says, Father, my desire, I long for them, my friends, to be with me when I am with you. And so he's willing to face neglect and abuse and rejection. All the things that we fear in relationships, abuse, rejection, neglect, betrayal, he says, I'll take all of that. I'm even willing to face death. And I did. And I came out on the other side to claim you. This is the kind of shepherd we're talking about. Lastly, so he's the kind of shepherd who knows his sheep, he knows his own. He's the kind of shepherd who lays down his life and picks it back up again. And Thirdly, he doesn't just know the way. He is the way. That's what kind of shepherd he is. He doesn't just know the way and lead us in the way. He is the way. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. In John chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So what is he saying there? He's saying the, the, the real shepherd is the one who enters by the door, right? But then, verse 7, says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So he says, I'm the, I'm the real shepherd that goes in by the door. But then he says, I am the door. Which one is it? <laughs> he's mixing these metaphors. And it gets a little confusing. But the reason he's doing this is because no one metaphor is big enough to capture the totality of who Jesus is. He is the shepherd and he is the door. <laughs> let, let, let's see what that means. Look, the, the Pharisees with whom Jesus is speaking here, what did they say was the, the door, the gateway into the flock of God? So if you want to be loved by God, if you want to be a part of his flock, a part of his family, a part of his kingdom, if you want to be with God, what's the gateway in to that? The Pharisees had an answer, kind of a two-fold answer. They said, you want to be a part of God's flock? It's two steps. One, you've got to be Jewish, and two, you've got to keep God's law. They kind of go together because the uh, being Jewish and keeping the law that God had given to Israel went together. So you, you, there's the, the ethnic component, ethnic cultural component, and then there's the, the law component, keeping the laws that were given to that people. And so the Pharisees prided themselves in those two things. They prided themselves in their ethnic heritage, Their ancestral connection to Moses and to Abraham. It comes up again and again in this whole section of John. As Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and and he's confronting them on some things, what do they keep saying? They keep saying, "Um, we're descendants of Abraham. We're disciples of Moses. We don't know who you are, but we're we're with Abraham. We're with Moses. That's where our lineage comes from. That's where our pedigree is. They draw a great deal of pride in that. And they also emphasized the the, the importance of keeping God's law. In fact, they emphasized it so much that they added many, many, many laws and called them God's laws. Because those were the door, those were the gateway into God's flock. Jesus says, no, I'm the door. I'm the gateway into the flock of God. Jesus said to his friend Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? So he's not just saying, I will take you to the Father, I will show you the way to the Father. He says, You don't get to the Father except through me. I'm the gateway. I'm um, the door, so he's the shepherd and the door. He leads us to safety, and he's the way to safety. He's all of it, and we need to see both of those things, and here's why, because I think that for some of us, it's, it's possible for us to see Jesus as the shepherd. He's the shepherd who died for us, and he's a shepherd who guides us. Praise the Lord for that. But somehow we can see that and still keep living as if the way for me to have and maintain acceptance with God is for me to do a really good job of keeping God's laws. Do better. You want to stay in God's flock? You want to get in and stay in? You better do better. Work harder. Is it possible that's you, that you feel that way? You're thankful for Jesus' death and resurrection on your behalf. You're thankful that he's your shepherd who guides you, and yet, and yet at the same time, you feel like you have to keep yourself in the flock by doing the right thing and saying the right thing and not screwing up bad enough to get booted out of the flock. You see, what Jesus is telling us here when he says, I am the way, I am this gate, I am the door, he's offering us this settled sense of security. He's offering us this rest in his finished work. The Pharisees said, Keep the law and be Jewish. And really, it's the same thing because to them, they were saying, keep these Jewish laws. Keep these ceremonial and civil laws that God gave to us as a nation years and years ago. Keep the law and be Jewish. And Jesus said, no, no, no. It's in me that you find acceptance into this flock. It's in me. Look at verse 16. It says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them in also. And they will listen to my voice, so there will be, look, one flock, one shepherd. So he's saying, he's talking to these Pharisees, to these Jewish people, and he's saying, I have other, he's saying, look, I have sheep here, I have sheep here in this nation of Israel, and, and, and yet I have other sheep from another fold that I need to bring in, so that there will be one flock, not flock A and flock B, not the Jewish flock and the Gentile flock, but one flock. What's this about? Look, remember, he's in Jerusalem. And he's talking to a gathering of Jewish people. And and he's saying, I have these other sheep that are not of this fold. He's saying, you don't need to be ethnically, culturally Jewish in order to be a part of my flock. He's not downplaying the importance of the Jewish people. He's not downplaying the importance of, of Abraham and all of the patriarchs. He's not downplaying at all the history up until this point. But he's saying, get one thing straight. The way into this flock is through me. It's not through accordance with laws. It's not with, it's not with adapting yourself to certain cultural practices. That's not the gate in. And this is important because later on in the history of the church, this has become an issue again and again. Months and months ago, we read through the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, Paul is talking about that very same thing. There were these teachers that had come into the church and said, well, if you're going to really be a Christian, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to do these things. And we keep doing that. We just change the things that need to be done. But we keep adding. Like you need to do these things in order to make sure that you're living up to the law and you're earning your keep in the flock. Jesus says, no, I'm the way in and I'll keep you in. We sang it earlier. I will hold you fast. Faith in Christ is the gate by which we enter this flock, this community. So that anyone who Jesus brings in by that gate becomes part of the one flock. Regardless of ethnicity, you've been welcomed into this one flock. In Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to open there, you can open there. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, Jesus says, for, for, I mean, the Apostle Paul says, For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both. And he's talking about Jews and Gentiles here. He said he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. See, in John 10, it's one new flock. Here he's calling it one new man, same idea, in the place of the two. So making peace, so that he might reconcile us both, every ethnicity, so that he might reconcile us both in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. So what does this mean? Through faith in Christ, God reconciles many different people from many different ethnicities, many different cultures. He reconciles us to himself and he reconciles us to each other. This speaks to us right now in 2019, for sure, because racism is alive and well. Partiality among ethnic lines is alive and well. Ephesians 2 and John 10 remind us that there's no dividing wall. A dividing wall is whether you are in Jesus' flock or not. There's no dividing wall within that flock. So within the flock that is Christ's church, we need, we need to celebrate the vast spectrum of ethnicities and cultures. Not ignore the spectrum. Not pretend like we're all the same because, we're, frankly, we're not all the same. In Christ, we are one, and yet we are very different from one another, ethnically, culturally, etc. We can celebrate all that. We can celebrate the vast spectrum of ethnicities and cultures, whether it's Jewish, Korean, Dominican, Namibian. We need to acknowledge beauty in each of those. We need to acknowledge beauty in each of the many languages and cultural expressions and celebrate the multicolored texture of Christ's worldwide flock. We can find true reconciliation with one another and with God in this flock through faith in Jesus Christ. And I love that. I love the fact that in this church, this church is slowly growing to reflect more of the multi-textured beauty of Christ's worldwide flock. It's slowly happening. I love that. I love the fact that as a Westchester church, we also get to be a part of bringing more sheep into the flock in Namibia, in the Bronx, in other places where you live or where you are at work. And Jesus loves this. He laid down his life and he picked it back up to bring more sheep into the fold. <laughs> so let's commit ourselves and enjoy that. And, and commit ourselves and enjoy the reality that we get to partner with him in bringing in sheep they seem like they're from a very different fold as ours, bringing them in to the fold of Christ. I want to close with a question for you. Are you his sheep? It's, a, it's an inescapable question, frankly, because when Jesus speaks, he's, he's making these distinctions. He's dividing in a sense. He's, he's saying there, there are these false shepherds, and then there's me, I'm the true shepherd. He's saying there are sheep that hear my voice and know it, and then there are others who don't. And then when we get down to the very end of this section, verse 19 and verse 21, notice something really interesting there. there. There's a division, it says, among the Jews because of his words. And when you read verse 20 and 21, you realize that some people in this crowd are starting to open themselves up more to him, be more receptive, curious about what he's saying. They're, 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 they're opening up, and then there's another group of people that are shutting down all the more. So Towards what Jesus is saying. In fact, they're beginning to just dismiss it completely. They're saying this man's out of his mind. And so the question we have to ask is, where do we fall on the spectrum? Are, are we opening up, becoming more receptive to this shepherd, or are we shutting down against him? Because the fact is, he's moving towards you. He's initiating. He's engaging. He's pursuing you right here as we talk about him. And every time he does that, we said this last week, there's always a reaction There's always a response when Jesus approaches us with his gospel. We're either opening up slowly or we're closing down a little bit more firmly. Christ wants you to know that you need a shepherd and you can't shepherd yourself. The wolves of this world will tear you to pieces. Now, I don't just mean the the wolves of suffering and pain, injustice, whether personal or systemic. I'm talking about the the even worse wolf than that. Those, Those wolves will tear you up, but I'm talking about the wolf of sin, which threatens to destroy you. Are you one of his sheep? Here's the reason I ask this. I ask it not just for people who are maybe new to New Hope or new to Christianity or not sure. Maybe you'd answer, yes, I think I'm a sheep, or I'm sure I'm a sheep. Or maybe you say, I'm not sure. Maybe you say, no, I really don't think I am. Wherever you are on that spectrum, I ask this because I think it's possible to think that you are a sheep and be mistaken. As tragic as that is, Jesus addresses it in Matthew 7. He talks to people who think they're his sheep, and he says, I never knew you. So here's the thing. Whether you would say, I'm, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm not one of his sheep. I'm not, I haven't really believed in him. I don't, I don't follow him. He, he, or, or maybe you find yourself on the other end of the spectrum saying, I'm certain I am. Or somewhere in between. You're not sure. I believe that the way forward is very similar for all of us. The way forward is this. Respond to the shepherd's voice with trust. Whether you'd already say that he's your shepherd and you love him, respond to his voice with trust. If you're not sure... Response with voice, of trust. He's moving toward you. Again, he's moving toward you. He's initiating. He's engaging you. And all you need to admit, all you need to admit is, listen, my my efforts at self-shepherding have failed. They've led me into sadness, disappointment. They have not gone well. I'm done with my efforts at self-shepherding. That's where it all starts. Because there's no other shepherd like him that will do what he is willing to do for you. The call that he's issuing to us here is not to do better or to do more. It's to trust in the shepherd and what he did for you. And and that's how life following Jesus as the shepherd begins, and it's how life following Jesus continues. It's for the rest of our lives. Life as his sheep, it's listening and trusting. Because other voices, no matter how long you claim to have been following the shepherd, no matter how long you love him as your shepherd, other voices are going to lie to you. Voices like your own voice and the voice of others are going to tell you things like, you're alone, you're worthless, you'll never be loved, you'll never be good enough. And we believe those lies so often. Other voices, voices like your own voice, will tell you that you've disappointed him too much you're not good enough. There's no way he still loves you. Don't listen to those lies. Don't listen to the lies of one who is not your shepherd, who did not lay down and pick up his life for you. Listen to the voice of Jesus, the shepherd who calls you to trust him. And he will hold you fast. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we entrust ourselves to you. You have cared better for us than we have ever cared for ourselves. You are able to hold us and keep us. You are able to guide us and feed us and protect us. Lord, would you draw each of us to you? May each of us here walk through this gate that is you, faith in you, to know you and be a part of your flock forever. We love you. Amen.